1: Hi, this is Nancy, and we are here today, live on January 27th. I am joined by my friend and colleague, Christy Carbongal, who is both an attorney in the world of estates and probate, as well as a probate judge here in New Mexico. We will be discussing all things probate today. As you will learn, generally, there are differences among states about how probate is handled, and in some states, probate can be so expensive and complex that people are encouraged to seek alternatives to probate. Some people simply prefer to avoid probate for a variety of other reasons, which we will also discuss today, as well as the use of a variety of tools and instruments that allow you to avoid it. However, in some instances, going through probate may be a good thing to do. Christie will help me and you understand all of this today, here, right now. Hey, Christy, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, And you're a return guest. You you were on one of my very first shows, so thanks for coming back. So if you don't mind, I would like to simply begin at the beginning. Can you tell us what is probate and how does it work generally?
2: Um, So probate is, in the most simplistic form, the process by which after someone dies the court acknowledging that if there is a will, that the will is valid and then appointing a personal representative, which is what we call the executor in New Mexico, and I think most states call it personal representative at this point. Um, and if there's not a will, it's you know, obviously, then it would just be appointing a personal representative based on priority. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that probates need to be done every time when someone dies. Um, And that's not the case. And so it's not always something that has to happen. Um, It has to happen when there are assets in the decedent's name, the deceased person's name, and the assets don't have a beneficiary designation. Um, And in New Mexico, we have um, a small estate affidavit, which means that if it's under $50,000, Then we can do a small estate affidavit if it doesn't involve real estate. Um, But in most cases, that's when you determine whether or not you're going to file a probate is whether or not the person who's died still has assets in their name uh, that need to be transferred pursuant to the will or pursuant to what we call the intestate code, which is I died without a will. And the state fills in those gaps.
1: So there are some significant differences um, about how probate is handled, whether you have a will, and it has to be an original will typically, yes?
2: Um, If we don't have an original will in New Mexico, we have to file it formally and we have to put on evidence as to why we don't have the original and to prove that this actually is a copy of the last will and testament of the person who died. So it's always best to have the original document. But it's amazing to me how frequently those get lost.
1: Yes, and so, and people have copies. Yes, so there is a way to use copies, yeah. but it's a little more complicated to do that. And uh, It tends
2: to be more expensive to go that route,
1: yes. I see, okay. And um, so uh, um, throughout the country, and and I know you've said this to me before, there are some states that really are much more expensive than and And what are those expenses related to? Um, well, there's
2: some states are more expensive. So we have some states, New Mexico has reasonable compensation for the personal representative and the lawyer that does the probate work.
1: Yes. Um, some
2: states actually have these schedules that are based on the Uh, size of the estate. So the more assets that there are, the more that the lawyer and the personal representative are going to be paid based on that fee scale. And it doesn't necessarily translate though that that would be more work. Um, You know, a million dollar house in New York might be standard where a million dollar house in New Mexico would be, that would be a big house. Mm -hmm. Um, So you might have a million dollar house, which is pretty small in New Mexico, I mean, in New York, But it's based on the value, not the fact that you just have to do a deed to transfer it. But some of the other things that play a factor in um, how expensive it is, is the probate process in those states. Some states require court hearings for a lot of the process. So uh, the the personal representative um, has to reach out and get approval for putting a house on the market, the pricing of the house um and distributions et cetera, and that would be in new mexico more like a supervised administration we can do a lot under our code in new mexico where the personal representative who has a fiduciary duty to others meaning they have to take the interest of the estate and the beneficiaries over themselves they're just tasked by statute with getting these things done and doing it the right way typically in an unsupervised way in new mexico If you have to go to court every time,
1: uh
2: I'm sorry, that just is more expensive and it takes a lot more time to get through the process.
1: I see. Yeah. That was one of my other questions was why does it sometimes take so long? Um, And Mm -hmm. so it's really, if the court is requiring multiple steps and then you're at the mercy of a judge approving or setting hearings or signing or whatever. Yeah.
2: Right. And I will say, um, and sometimes it takes a long time because you'll hear people say, oh my gosh, I don't want to go through probate in New Mexico. And I have to explain to them how our process might differ from other states that are more expensive. Um, But um, one of the things that can also take a long time though, and one of the reasons that the concept of probate gets such a bad name is While people are fighting, if they are fighting that probate stays open, if you have a property that might be not as marketable, um, maybe it's a house that's in um, disrepair, um, or it's vacant land in the middle of nowhere, whatever that means, you know, whatever that looks like, Um, that until those assets are out of the name of the decedent, um, or the estate, the personal representative has to continue to be able to continue to act in that role. So sometimes an estate can take just a little bit to get set up, but then it can take years to get the whole process completed.
1: I see. And so, um, how how is conflict handled? Is that something that goes before a judge?
2: Um, it depends on the circumstances. Um, sometimes the conflict. Well, first, I'm, I think I my, the advice I give to the personal representatives always is. Transparency is best, and that seems commonsensical, but I think sometimes, especially people who are pretty type A, this is my list of things to get done, I'm gonna get it done, and I don't need to report to anyone. And what I try and remind people is, the best way to keep conflict at a minimum is to be communicating about what the process looks like, setting expectations for how long it's gonna take, um, and when they can expect to get a check, because ultimately, And I mean, I don't want to sound super negative, but ultimately that's what beneficiaries are wanting to know is when is this going to be finished? And when am I going to have a check in my hot little hands? Uh, And so we try and establish those expectations from the very beginning. Conflict can be resolved through mediation. And when we're talking about conflict, it might be we're fighting over the turkey platter that mom had that everybody Mm -hmm. wants Mm -hmm. when we're talking. And that's the kind of conflict that we deal with regularly in a a probate. I'm not talking about like an uh, will contest. I mean, that's a complete, that would be a completely different show as to when a will can be contested. What are those, what does that look like? That's a whole different area. Conflict though arises all the time when people die because people, children, relatives, all react different to grief some people plow through it and get work done in order to avoid dealing with grief some people become pretty hysterical or angry or just irrational um and that's just those are all normal parts of the grief grieving process so one of the things that i always recommend or advise my clients at uh, from the very beginning is you're going to need to be sensitive to the fact that some people may not react in the way you would have pre- that you would um, haven't anticipated because grief changes people so we we try and nip conflict in the bud at the beginning by being very by communicating as much as possible
1: and because you're mentioning conflict and the turkey platter um are there rules around personal property
2: so the, the document that governs personal property would be the will or the trust um depending on which as or which vehicle the the deceased person has. I use decedent all the time and I have people who don't. That's not a word that people use regularly. It's one I use every day. So I forget people don't use that. (laughs) Um, But um, the will can give direction, but ultimately it's the personal representative that is in charge of that. So sometimes, especially with clients when I'm drafting estate planning documents, if they've made it very clear that there's going to be conflict around personal property, I actually put language in the will that addresses how the personal property will be distributed if it's as simple as we're drawing straws and you know the shortest straw goes last or if it's going to be sometimes it's my kids are going to choose the assets they want in a round robin starting with birth order there's all kinds of ways that that can happen but the other thing that i advise people to do about personal property is if you're already anticipating there's going to be conflict start going through with your kids now and making that list because a tangible personal property list is, in, is effective in most states. And what that is, is that's that loose that loose leaf piece of paper where you write grandma's engagement ring goes to Mary, and you have to sign and date it, and that is enforceable. Mm-hmm. And I think on those things that have lots of conflict around them, people should should do a list to make it very clear who who's getting those assets. I sometimes yeah. also have clients who say, we want everything sold in the state sale and we, because we don't want the conflict. That seems extreme, but it is not something, I mean, it happens pretty frequently as well.
1: Yes, because I I've heard of, and I'm sure you've heard it all, but I've heard of families where they go around as you mentioned, but you know, the the first person picks the most expensive item and others want some, some kind of compensation about that fact, and it and it may be something of extraordinary value um, mm-hmm. and reasonable to to be compensated around. but then it can get even more, you know, now everybody's measuring you took this, and I took that, and it's worth more, and yeah, it can get pretty wonky. right, um, right.
2: Um, so sometimes that requires it, it you know it depends on every state estate's going to be different because, you may have a household where it's, you know, the same couch that the kids grew up in from 1972. Um, Or it could be that they have a Rembrandt above their, uh, their fireplace when they have a Rembrandt or in New Mexico, if they have a Maria pot from Acoma or something like that, that may not look like it's worth a lot, but then you find out, oh my gosh, this is like a $15,000 pot that fits in the palm of my hand. Mm -hmm. Um, We then recommend to people that before that process happens, that you get, you get an appraisal, um, and that you like the stuff is appraised, and then the everyone art. can pick, mm-hmm. and everyone can pick what they want, but that it is included in the distribution that they get. So sometimes the the value is important, um, but at other times when it's sentimental stuff like the turkey platter, um, the the tea towels that grandma made, you know, those kind of things, those don't have. Uh, anything but sentimental value, those can be some of the most complicated things to deal with. We actually, on the turkey platter, the reason I brought that up, we almost (coughs) have like a joint custody Mm -hmm. of the turkey Platter as a resolution, where on odd years one sibling got it, on even years the other sibling got it. Okay. I have not heard whether that platter was broken, but if that ever happened, I'm assuming there would be some sort of homicide. I it was that crazy of a situation. <laughs> so.
1: Well, I I know there's a there's a group that does elder mediation back east, and they wrote a book. Who gets grandma's pie plate? Yeah, uh-huh. there's uh-huh. actually a yeah, book it's, it's titled cool. Yes. And and that, that was written by, a, you know, professional mediators. Um, so that's uh-huh. the kind of thing. I think also often, um, well, this maybe is another show, but, you know, families inherit um, um, cabins and cottages where right. um, not everybody it lives in that state wants to use it you know susan has three kids she's up there all the time and they're splitting expenses equally and so that can become a bone of contention as well in an estate but um but that often comes later i suppose after after a bit of time so
2: well and i also think those, those specific examples nancy i also think that really goes to estate planning and being proactive in identifying mm-hmm. when you have a family cabin, um, what what do you want that to look like and how do we make that work before parents die so that the people in right. charge really can set it up?
1: Yeah, and perhaps having a conversation with your children about um, about use and um, you know what people might be interested in and, and in right. in setting up your estate, right. Accordingly, well,
2: and one well, and I know this isn't probate topic, but one of the things I did with a cabin in New Mexico that a family owned that everyone used was the parents actually contributed that to a trust that was supposed to then turn into a limited liability company with the siblings all owning it. But they also contributed one hundred fifty thousand dollars in cash from their estate to the LLC, and the reason they mm-hmm. did that is because there was different financial abilities within the sibling group and the parents wanted there to be a a money that was associated that not everybody had to come out of pocket immediately so there's there's ways to be proactive and to to avoid conflict i just think that because we don't deal with death and dying as well as we probably should talking about it as well as we should in america sure uh that people avoid talking about that and then the kids have to work it out themselves
1: yes yes and so um, very quickly, uh, and then we'll, we'll take a short break. Um, what if the conflict becomes such that some of the children feel that the executor is just not being fair or acting appropriately or um, is not the right person? Are there remedies for that?
2: There are. Um, I am a big proponent of third parties that do this professionally. Um, And obviously this is what your company does, but um, I am a proponent of that because I think first of all, it's done more efficiently in most times, because if you're working with somebody who does this all the time, they're going to know how to get an estate liquidator. They're going to have ideas on how to deal with personal property. They're going to know how to get an inventory put together without it being um, have to Having to learn all of that yourself as a personal representative, as a layperson. I also think it lends the siblings or the beneficiaries somebody to be angry at rather than at each other. Um, so one of the things I do, again, proactively is if I get feedback from the person I'm drafting the documents for that their kids don't get along on a good day, um, then that's the first thing I'm going to say is then don't put one of them in charge of the estate. Um, One of the alternatives is that I'll have parents that say have them all serve together, you know, be it two kids or four kids. That's a horrible idea.
0: Um, And Mm -hmm. and,
2: um, especially when one lives here and one lives in, you know, uh, Florida, uh, it just makes it uh, just a nightmare. Um, It sometimes works. I'm not saying these are not cut and dry all the time. But we really do get into situations where putting them all together to work together to avoid conflict actually results in more conflict.
1: It can, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, well, what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about um, when there is not a well at all, um, what happens in those instances? And we, we've got about a minute. So, now. okay, about the
2: probate code provides... Okay, the probate code provides who's gonna be the personal representative based on priority. And when we talk about priority, that means your relationship to the person who died. Are you the spouse? Are you the kid? Um, are you an aunt? I mean, are you a sibling? Are you an aunt and uncle? How? Where, where do you fall in the priority of how you're related? Um, so that is, you know, that's one thing that happens. So what the issue is, is that, you know, if I, let's, let's say that you know, dad has died, mom now dies, they've got five kids, all of them have the same priority to serve. So unless all of them are going to agree that who's going to be the person who serves as personal representative, then you have to go to court and have a hearing. Um, And then the judge gets to decide who's the best person. Well, Um, okay. And when we, well, and when we do that, um, that i mean again we're starting down a path where that's going to be a lot more expensive because and and there's going to be a lot of finger pointing that's when you get into a situation where someone's saying well they had a bankruptcy or they don't pay their own bills or they're gambling addict i mean that's when all the ugliness starts coming out so if that's the way these the probate starts that's going to give you a feel for how the rest of that process is going to go and Mm -hmm. frankly if there's enough money to pay for a uh, third party that's when a judge a lot of times will say you know what we're not going to go here, we're just going to appoint somebody who's going to do this for your family.
1: Okay. All right. Um, We're going to take our first break. When we come back, I'd like to talk about um, when someone dies intestate, how that impacts where the assets ultimately go, who the beneficiaries are. Okay. So we'll be right back.
0: This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hi, this is Nancy. I'm here with Christy Carbone Gall, who is a state and probate attorney as well as probate judge here in New Mexico. We were talking about uh, wills, and I, what you had just discussed uh, when there is no will, how a personal representative is chosen. I am curious as well about um, intestacy rules, as they're called. Is that what they're called? Um, yeah. And um, are those pretty um, general across the board? Is that a you know, across the country if there's no will or are there different rules in different states? Do you know?
2: So many states, and I don't know the number, and I should probably look this up today, have adopted the Uniform Probate Code, which means that we have a very standard um, approach to probate. Um, some states are unique. Um, Louisiana follows Napoleonic law, and so it does have some some very unique um approaches to probate every time I come out our hear stuff about Louisiana I'm like oh okay I have no idea what what that's, what that's about um, and so but it is I think in general it's pretty standardized
1: it's probably close to 40 states I think the uniform probate okay Code. I, I'm pretty sure
2: okay but, uh, yeah it is the majority of them yeah, yeah. it is the majority of them yes um, and um, so those provide the the as i call it the fill in the gap statutes about who's going to be the personal representative who's going to be the beneficiary remember too when we're doing probates um and we didn't talk about this at the beginning but if somebody has a minor child um uh your will is what contains the language about who's going to be the guardian um so that also yeah. results sometimes in us appointing who the guardian's going to be through the will and if they don't have a will again the laws say Who has priority to be guardian for your minor child um and so that's pretty standard uh what you would expect if it's a married couple it's going to be the the spouse um if it is a single person but they might have adult children it would be the adult children if it's a single person with no spouse no children it's going to be their parents their siblings nieces and nephews so it, it is it's not It is what you would expect it to be based on just family relationships. So the one thing that I always when I speak about estate planning and probate in um, around New Mexico, I always remind domestic partners, the intestate laws do not address domestic partnerships. And so and again, I always have to remind people too: I'm not talking about just gay and lesbian couples. I'm talking about people who are adults who live with each other and own assets together, but are not married, which is pretty frequent. And
1: and is more normal than not, frankly. Okay, I'm sorry. I I was distracting myself by googling how many states have adopted the probate, (laughs) the Uniform Probate Code. And actually, I think we were both wrong. It says, in in, at least in part, it's 18 states. Um, I was a lot less. Okay. Yeah, I'm surprised because I really thought it was more, but. it also talks Well, I out. will say
2: that all of the the southeast and the East Coast is much more complicated in their probate process than New Mexico is. Um, yes, and, and some of the states even have or have uh, inheritance tax, where we follow in New Mexico the federal tax, uh, state tax laws. Are, New Mexico mimics the federal system. Some of the East Coast states have inte- uh, have inheritance tax. Um, so, even though we're one of the older uh, states, mm-hmm. I think we're a little more um, progressive when it comes to getting that kind of stuff done more efficiently.
1: well, in fact, um, you know, as I was just reading, while you were talking, um sorry, um it's the states that use the uniform probate code are um, generally have much easier probates to deal with and um, right. much less complicated. So um, it's a good thing for people to ask. If, uh, if their state uses that or to look it up and, and consider that when right. they're talking with an attorney. But um, thank you for, so you highlighted, while I was not listening, I'm so sorry, you highlighted um, based on whether you're single, married, etc. cetera, um, who um, inherits when a person dies without a will. Um, Correct. And um, so if you have four children and one of your children predecease you, um, does it then become distributed just among the three children? And unless you have a will designating that it goes to your deceased child's kiddos or?
2: No, under New Mexico law, and I think this is true in most states, if you have a deceased child who has children of their own, that person's share, that child's share goes to the grandchildren.
1: Okay. That's good to know. All right.
2: It splits, uh, splits amongst their kids. Yes.
1: Okay. And so, um, my last question in the area of the will, and this will start yes. to transition us over to Um. um Some other, you know, talking about instruments and avoiding probate and all that. Um, You often, in a person's will, you often read about a pour over will, and that's a bit confusing for people. Can you speak to that? What is a pour over? Sure.
2: So a pour over will is a will that accompanies a revocable trust. So, um, people either have a trust that is the, the what I call the dispositive instrument, which says this is where my stuff goes when I die, or they have a will that says that. If they have a trust, what you have to do with a revocable trust is um, fund it. And what we mean by that is if Christy has a house and she has a trust, my house needs to be in the name of... Uh, you know, Christie as trustee of the Carbone Gall revocable trust, not in my name. So the trust owns the house, not me as an individual. And so a pour-over will is the document that says I do have a trust, but I forgot to put my account at USAA into the trust, and it's over $50,000. So now I've got to do a probate. And the probate doesn't say, my assets go to my husband and my two kids. The probate, the horrible will says it goes into the Carbone Gall revocable trust. So one of the things I always say to people when they have a revocable trust is, is it funded? And the best practices now is that the estate planning lawyers help people fund their trust when they do the documents. mm -hmm. But, you know, 20 years ago when I was a baby lawyer, I would be meeting with people who had a 20-year-old trust and they'd never funded anything because the lawyer that did their documents sent them a handbook on this is how you do a deed, and it was it was the protocol then. I mean, I'm not being critical of the lawyers, but lay people aren't going to say, "Oh, well, now this is what I do next." It's just like a divorce; people get through it and they never finish doing the transfer of their documents. Although they would do estate planning and then never finish the transfer of their documents into the trust, yes. so frequently we have to probate a pour-over will, and the beneficiary is the trust.
1: Oh, okay. So you still probate the will
2: if if there are still assets in the deceased mm-hmm. person's name over fifty thousand yeah, at the time of their death. Yeah. Sure. Yes, over 50. In New Mexico. Yeah, in yeah. over 50,000. And it does cause a lot of, so here's the one thing I will say, just as a, this isn't the trust segment of your um, podcast, but mm-hmm. what, I, what I will say is some of the worst probates I've had is that people didn't have a pour, over tru, a pour over will with their trust. They actually had a trust. And then they determined they needed a will and they pulled one off of some website and they're will does not say anything about the trust and it has different beneficiaries those are a nightmare and we i had one in which the husband and wife um the husband had refinanced the house um and and he and it was still in his name he put he had a will together he was like 87 years old and pulled a will off of like legal zoom or something like that not understanding (laughs) that it should have been a poor over. so the He said it went to his kids, not his spouse, and so we had to fight for the community property rights she had in their house, and it turned a relatively simple first-to-die spouse situation into like a $15,000 lawsuit over fighting over who got to own the house. So um, my first thought would be, or my, my commercial for estate planning lawyers is we went to law school to learn something, and we paid a lot of money to do it. There's a reason. Um, that people use estate planning lawyers yes, because this is yes. not
1: simple. That was one of my questions so, at some point is, um, are there people, you know, what kind of lawyer specializes in this and and uh, particularly in the probate area? Um, do people who do estate planning work necessarily work in the probate area? Are they sometimes different or do they often go hand in hand?
2: They often go hand in hand. um, But I will say that a lot of my colleagues, a a number of colleagues of mine in New Mexico that do estate planning, they might do uncontested or, you know, straightforward probates that don't have any conflict. Mm, Um, So it just depends on I have a partial litigation transaction practice personally, but that's not everybody's uh,
1: cup of tea.
2: Not everybody loves. Not everybody, not everybody loves everybody. the conflict side of it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, so so let's move to um, when would you not file a probate at all? Are there times when you wouldn't file a probate?
2: So I think I said at the beginning that it is a misconception that you file a probate in every situation. And that's a misconception even on the part of lawyers that don't do this. I have people call and ask, you know, is this something? Is what I do at this point? No. The answer is you need So My advice to people when I talk about probates to the public is do not rush to do a probate. You need to do a little bit of analysis because once you start the process, you're in it. So what I mean by that is this, and this mm-hmm. is the example I give is frequently you will find with the cost of long-term care that mom, mom, or dad are in a long-term care facility. It might be on Medicaid. Maybe there was a house involved with a reverse mortgage. Whatever the case may be, there might be more debt than equity in the estate. When that happens, I want to make sure that the personal representative understands once you file a probate, you have to file a notice to creditors, you're not personally liable for the debts of that estate as the personal representative, unless you've stolen money, but let's just pretend like they've done everything they're supposed to. Sure. You're not personally liable, but you have to still go through the process. So you have to send notices out to them. You have to call American express and say, yeah, I realize there's a $15,000 balance this month. There's no money in the estate. If you don't don't file, then it just basically, it's going to be the creditor's obligation to pursue it. And frankly, most financial institutions don't. They're not going to file as a creditor because you can. not That's one of the people people's priority is that there hasn't been a probate filed. In New Mexico, 45 days after someone dies, the creditor can do that. You'll see that sometimes, you'll see that with real estate. You're not going to see that with a credit card debt. But, you know, it's not un- infrequent that I have people who come in and there's more debt than there are assets. So I am I am encouraging them, don't file, because then you're going to have to deal with all these creditors for the next couple of years. There might be other things that play into that, but that's just a general rule is, do the assets exceed the debt? Um, sometimes it's more complicated than that, because there might be real estate involved, whatever, but that's the general rule. And then the other thing that I say to people is, when someone passes away do not get on the phone immediately and start calling everyone, because you start triggering things like "Don't call the mortgage company." If there's money to continue to pay the mortgage, give us a few minutes to kind of get our act together, get the probate filed, so you have authority to act before you start freezing accounts. Nice. Um, sometimes Correct. again, it, it's going to be based on it's going to be based on case by case basis. If somebody's stealing money, or you have to worry about that kind of thing. Then you have to be, be um, thoughtful about freezing accounts. But if it's just a straightforward situation, and mom's stuff is on auto pay, and you know everything's being cared for or being taken care of, give yourself a month to get the fi- the probate done without telling everybody, without telling the universe, so that they start closing everything down.
1: Right, and I can think of a million what-if scenarios. So that's really. Uh, what I would take from that is right talk with an attorney look at look at the inventory of the estate very carefully before you start taking steps um, there you know I mean there are instances where mom may be in the nursing home on Medicaid and the house may still exist without a reverse mortgage and you know and I mean there's just a lot of different instances where, um, yeah, it can get.
2: And then one other thing I would say to Nancy about COVID going on is when you file in New Mexico in district court, you don't file a death certificate. The person applying to be personal representative or the petitioner is affirming under penalty of perjury, the person's really dead, right? So the Mm -hmm. judge is not requiring a death certificate. So I sometimes am able to get a probate process finished before we even have death certificates available. And with COVID going on, death certificates are taking longer to get issued because there's so many of them. Not, thank God, in New Mexico as much as other places, but still, it's an issue. And so sometimes I'll have the probate done, and we're still waiting like a month or two to get, depending on where the person passed away, to get a death certificate in order to access the accounts, even with the probate in place.
1: Ah, I didn't know that that's very helpful. Yeah. That's very helpful information, particularly these days, yes, and depending on the situation and so, um, I don't know how this second segment always goes by so quickly. We have another break to take. I do want I don't want to leave you today without talking about. The many um, tools and instruments, and some of the practical things like safe deposit boxes and transfer on death deeds on homes, and et cetera. So um, sit tight, and we'll be right back in 90 seconds. Thanks.
2: America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try.
0: Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need.
1: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hi, thank you. Welcome back. I'm here with Christy Karpengall, and we want to talk about some of the practical things that you need to know, uh, although all we, uh, everything you've talked about has been very practical. Um, and I want her to talk about some of the tools and instruments people use that allow assets to go directly to beneficiaries. Um, and so let's, in case I don't want to run out of time, so please talk to us about safe deposit boxes and kids on checking accounts and all of those things that I know you have opinions about.
2: Okay. My issue with the safe deposit box is this, um, and I tell my clients because a lot of, I mean, a lot of people have them. It's a very traditional way to store documents. Um, they are a total pain to get into when someone passes away. So uh, what what has been happening or what happens is is that people put their original documents into the, Um, into their safe deposit box, and the bank will tell you, well, we need a probate in order to access the safe deposit box. Well, under New Mexico law, there is an exception that you can get in just to see if there is a um, original will in there and get it in order to file the probate. I will tell you that I've had to do that a handful of times in the twenty-some years I've practiced, and it never goes smoothly it always tweaks it is always involves their legal department is at pain in who's gonna
1: say yeah um,
2: and so and so i always tell people please do not put your your documents in your safe deposit box and if you do you need to make sure you name somebody else on that box who doesn't travel with you right you know don't don't put the person you're going to die with on that um so that somebody can get into the box i actually don't like safe deposit boxes at all i realize for people who want to keep cash um
1: Too expensive gold, jewelry. Yeah. Jewelry.
2: Yeah, yeah, because I mean we've got personal you know, if you've got personal property in the house, the chances of being stolen are, you know, enormous. Potentially, but, um, you know, as I say to my clients, if they still your original wills and you still have capacity, I can print, you can sign them again. So I'd rather than put them in a fireproof box at home. And even then, if the house burns down like Los Alamos, when all the fireproof boxes burned during the fires in Los Alamos a couple of years ago, we just had to reprint documents and have them signed. So that would be my issue about safe deposit boxes. Think about it because it's really hard to get the original wills out of there. then I will also say one of the things that people try to do to avoid probate is to put their kids on their assets. And I I honestly talk about this with people almost every single day in which they come to see me after they have already two years ago when their spouse died, went into the bank after dad died with their daughter and said, I'm going to put her name on all of our bank accounts so that we don't have any issues. If something happens to me, it's almost like a panic reaction response that seems to be for everybody. Yeah.
1: And then my then I have to remind
2: them, if your daughter gets divorced, if she gets sued because she was in a car accident, or if she goes bankrupt, that is now her asset as well. And so you do not, it's not the way to go. When I have clients who are stressed that if something happens to them, their kids are not going to have enough disposable income to pay that intermediary amount of expenses, then I say, you know what, then put your daughter on an account that has maybe $2500 in cash or $5000 do not put her on all of your assets. So but you know and then for those of us who have kids who have a credit card I'm like you know what during that two week period your daughter can charge the funeral expense or whatever the case may be and just get reimbursed from the trust. But not everybody has that kind of disposable income. Then put Correct. that little then put that little account together. There's ways to handle that. So I, And then there's tax consequences if you put your kid on your. Uh, besides liability, right, there's it, a tax consequence. You right. Have,
1: it's defined as a gift. You don't get to step up in basis. You, well, and, yeah, oh, and you don't too. get to step up in basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So a lot of times in people's um, franticness to avoid probate, they actually cost themselves a ton more issues than they would have if they had just. Done a traditional estate plan and had it go through a regular process. So I try and encourage people not to do that. The other thing I will (laughs) say is, you know, and I'm going to use you as an example. You have an only child. It's very, and she's an adult. It's very easy for you to do everything by beneficiary designation because she will inherit it. And she will be able, because she's going to have access to everything, she'll pay the bills. But one of the other things I see people doing is. They put beneficiary designations on everything, including in New Mexico, we have a transfer on death deed that you can give the house away by beneficiary designation at death. And then there's no money to do the administration. So unless you have to, then that's when the the person who's going to pay mom's final bills has to call their siblings and say, hey, so will everybody contribute back 5,000 of the, the dollars you just got so that we can pay bills? And that doesn't always work out the way it should. So I always want to make sure that people understand too, and again, their, their goal is to avoid probate, but does that leave a situation where there's no disposable income to pay, to keep the house maintained until the house is sold or, you know, whatever that's going to look like. It just has to be, it just has to be more thoughtful and not as reactionary as people tend to be.
1: Correct. So, um, so before we talk about the problems, um, Designating all all assets, and probably this is why in New Mexico, the smallest state, affidavit under fifty thousand is is helpful. And people in other states should find out if there's, you know, what if that exists and what the amount is. But um, um, what are those designations? So, uh, for example, on bank accounts, investment accounts, houses,
2: they're called. POD or TOD, which is pay on death or transfer on death. Um, and essentially all it translates to is beneficiary designation. So life insurance, retirement accounts, bank accounts, investment accounts, Every, all of those vehicles typically have a way that you can do a beneficiary on them. I mean, that's that really is almost every asset. The asset that you couldn't do beneficiary designations on them until recently, the last ten years, was the trans, was real estate. And now many states have transfer on death statutes, um, and so people have really tra- and and they talk a lot about we call them TODs, the transfer on death deeds. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of people who've done them themselves. They find the forms and they do them themselves. And they'll also do things like I have five kids. And so I'm leaving my real estate to all five of them. Mm -hmm. So then one of the other horror stories I had was I had a guy who, he was not my client. His son was, and his dad named his son and like four other cousins on a real estate deal. The house was worth 115,000. They spent about 65,000 fighting about it because all of them owned it so it essentially turned into a partition suit rather than going through a probate in which somebody was in charge and could have sold it and distributed the assets out to those people they ended up having to go to a suit where the judge had to say okay now we're going to sell the property and after you fought for this long and we're just going to get it sold but it's a very expensive process yeah Yeah. and so that 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 probate avoidance costs them a fortune and it's
1: because people don't
2: know why they're doing what they're doing
1: well, I think it's important to to bring this up simply because uh, a lot of people know naturally about retirement plan beneficiaries, but they don't know, um, they don't think about bank accounts or general investment accounts, you know, their Schwab account um, or their home. And mm-hmm. um, but again, I yes, I was. I'm familiar with an estate where that we were looking at originally, and there were designations on everything, and and it was very difficult to. Um, we had to determine first and foremost as the personal rep if there was anything there to use to manage the estate. Yes, right, that right. was a problem. And the other thing I
2: will say along those lines, Nancy too is. One of the things I also see people doing on the beneficiary designations is they name minor children, and when you name a minor right. child, then I have to go to court and have a conservator appointed to accept those funds for that kid. So again, it's one of those situations that turns into something much more expensive than it would have right. been if they would have just done a will.
1: Right, or right, and the will could have um, allowed them to set up a trust for the minor children. A trust or, for the kids. Yes, and right. so um, right. so and. A trust is another alternative, is it not, to avoiding probate?
2: Avoid probate, yes. Yes. And so a revocable trust is a way to avoid probate, and I set those up in my practice probably about a third of the time, and here's why. Mm -hmm. Because probate's not such a big deal in New Mexico. Um, They need to do the business analysis of, do they want a more complicated estate plan that we set up now that's going to cost more on the front end because it's a lot more work? Um, or do they want to just go through probate after the second to die if it's a couple, um, and have, and then, and do that now in some States, it's just not even a business decision because like, for instance, and I'm going to throw California under the bus and I've done a lot of ancillary probates in California that process takes forever because not only do they have huge population, so the, the court process is clogged up, but um, it's another one where there's lots of supervision by the judge. So I have one where we're trying to sell a house in um, in outside of San Francisco, and the guy was from New Mexico. We're done in New Mexico and have been done for months, and we're still trying to get the house processed, sold, I mean, the uh, approved. Um, and it has right. been sold. I mean we have tenants in it. so it, so in some states you really do need to do a revocable trust to avoid probate right. because it's so expensive. The East Coast is also true.
1: New York, uh, Massachusetts,
2: where lawyers yes. are paid a percentage of the estate.
1: Well and and yeah. people move people move. <laughs> they move. Yeah. So if they move they yeah. really should review everything uh, based on Absolutely. living in that state
0: mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yes. Yeah. The other, um, the other interesting thing, um, when you put your children, you know, you have three children and you set up three CDs, you know, 100,000 each or something, and you put a POD on each of those, and now you're, um, you're in a long-term care situation or an assisted living, and let's say one of your children is trying to pay for care, and, you know, the cash is minimal, they now are turning to the CDs and trying to figure out what to sell. It gets very tricky if you've got Susie, Joe, and Mary um, each individually on a CD. Which CD do you pull and, um, you know, sort of and spend the money of of who? It gets very absolutely. Um, it's very bizarre.
2: It does. And in fact, we have a case right now where we were in the middle of a guardianship and conservatorship with someone who was very ill and didn't have any documents. And in the middle of it, she died. Well, her sister, who was a conservator, took about $10,000 out of this annuity to start paying for her long-term care. Well, in the middle, of, she's the money was distributed out of the um, annuity. Her daughter, the conservator's daughter, is now the beneficiary of that policy. Well, essentially, she died while the money was in transit they're going to have to make her whole. I mean, that's the only way that that's going to be. I mean, there's the only way that's going to be fair because there was even a legal discrepancy now of whether she even had the right to hold it. That happens in the same scenario you're talking about is if I'm acting as a guardian or conservator for my mom and I liquidate an account that has my sister on it, at some point we're going to have to true that up at the end. Um, And there's really not a lot of guidance about that. Um, no, no. so it's really, it's an equity issue. And it's an equity issue in which you have to be saying to your clients from the beginning, this is going to come back to bite you. You're going to need to account for how you've treated everyone. And if you started picking on one sibling and taking all the assets that mom left to that sibling,
0: they're going to hire a lawyer when <laughs>
2: right. she dies. There's
1: no right. question about that. And you've always had conflict with that sibling. Yeah. That could be a problem.
2: Yeah. And that, and it happens all the time.
1: Yeah. So, um so yeah. in terms of instruments, um, trusts are certainly and um, and often a good option for people, uh, particularly in some states over others. Um, the transfer on death designation in the investment arena, the pay on death designation is typically used in banking. Um, and um, the transfer on death deed, find out if your state allows for that. The nice thing about the transfer on death deed is um, if mom is on Medicaid and um, the house has not been sold and, and your mother passes, um, that avoids the Medicaid payback and it goes directly to children. No? No.
2: Yes. It does. I think though I, mean, I really state. think that they're going to start doing that.
1: Yeah. And I okay. also
2: think even what I've been seeing in New Mexico is I think they're going to end up doing some clawback. Um, okay. and I definitely I definitely think that's the way it's going to go just because we don't have enough money in the Medicare. So be system. careful about I mean, that. I mean I I think that was be careful about that. Know that it might come back, and the state may ask actually yeah. to lean against the property.
1: Well, and I wish we had more time. I'd love to talk about step up and basis and a lot of other estate planning things, but that could be another time. Uh, we are nearing our close. Um, Christy, can I give people your email address if they're interested in contacting you with questions? You sure. can certainly send, sure. you know, Nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. You can send an email to me. But Christy is, I believe it's Christy at C-A-R-B-O-N hyphen G-A-U-L dot com. Correct? The law office yes. of Christy Carbone.
2: And Christy doesn't have an H. Yeah. Oh, right. C-R-I-S-T-Y.
1: Thank you so much right. for being with me today. This has been incredibly informative. It is a truly complex subject, and I am better informed about why attorneys should be involved. <laughs> it's pretty complicated. So um, thank you, right. Christy. You, you've you been very helpful, and uh, we got to go. Thanks for joining us next time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.